0: I know what a cereal is.
1: (laughs) I don't know, Danielle. Maybe you have, like, a weird Midwestern definition of cereal (laughs) that I'm not aware of.
0: I'm pretty sure Midwestern people just eat normal cereal.
1: (laughs) I mean, they call salads, like, mayonnaise and jello, so... That's
0: actually fair. I've had a lot (laughs) of ramen noodle salads in my day with, like, Doritos in them. (laughs)
1: Hello, and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Sam. I'm Danielle. And this is a podcast about sharing weird media with your friends who aren't familiar with it. And I'm very excited today. We have a veritable classic of a movie, Highlander, which I was shocked to hear you hadn't seen before.
0: I know. It's it's a puzzle, a mystery.
1: I think this is the kind of film I would have made you watch in high school, so... <laughs>
0: it does seem like something we would have watched in high school.
1: Yeah, I blame myself for this deficiency on your part. So we're going to correct that today, not by making you watch that movie which i hope you might do after this but at least i can tell you about it and express my joy for this piece of 80s cheese that i love
0: i'm super excited about this
1: oh me too but before we get started we just want to share a quick promo from some of our friends
0: bin science, science.
1: <laughs> cannabis genetics coronavirus dogs this is petri dish We're a science podcast exploring complex subjects with clarity and evil humor. Join the scientific revolution. Join Petri Dish, dropping every Monday on anchor.fm slash petri dish. We are back. And first things first, as usual, we have to do the description. And I'm actually going to share two descriptions because I think IMDb is a terrible place to get film descriptions because they're all just like one sentence. And that one sentence is always more confusing (laughs) than it is helpful. Excellent. So I'm going to share the IMDb summary. And I'll share a summary from a product page where you can actually buy the film, which is a little bit more helpful.
0: It says, an immortal Scottish swordsman must confront the last of his immortal opponent, a murderously brutal barbarian who lusts for the fable prize. Now, does that
1: give you any information?
0: That they're immortal and that prize is capitalized and in quotes for some reason.
1: (laughs) Right. Next to useless. So let me give you a slightly better description, which I'm not sure it will tell you anything more. But it it certainly has more to it. All right. So try that one.
0: It says, After Scottish clansman Connor MacLeod discovers his true identity as a member of a legion of immortals, he embarks on a legendary journey spanning continents and centuries, eventually landing in modern-day New York City. Connor faces his ultimate test when other immortals begin to appear in the city for the mythical gathering to claim the prize, again capitalized, leading to a titanic showdown with the frightening and deadly Kurgan. In the end, there can be only one exclamation point. There's time travel? No. <laughs> There's not? No. But it says that he... Well, I mean, all right, there's technically
1: time travel and that we're all traveling forward through time.
0: It says that he had a legendary journey spanning continents and centuries, and then he ends up in yeah. New York City.
1: He's immortal. He lives a long time, Danielle.
0: Oh, they're suggesting that he lives so long that he ends up in modern day New York City.
1: Yes, and that is, in fact, the case.
0: That makes more sense.
1: Yeah, it's not a spoiler. It's not a spoiler to tell you that, but that's a much better description, I think, than the short sentence from IMDb.
0: Absolutely. It's a completely different story.
1: Yeah, it It's one you'd actually might want to check out.
0: And also one that apparently doesn't involve time travel, even though it really sounds like it does from that description, just so you know.
1: The phrase modern day New York does imply time travel. I'll give you that. (laughs) Thank you. But that would be true in any context. And also modern is in quotes here because this is from 1986. So it's modern in that it's already like 30 some years behind us.
0: Okay, I'm prepared. I'm ready. Let's do this.
1: All right, Highlander, a couple of fun facts. Uh, the soundtrack was done by Queen. Really? And so a lot of the songs were. Yeah.
0: How did I not know that?
1: <laughs> yeah, so they, they wrote a bunch of songs like Who Wants to Live Forever was for this movie.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I didn't know anything about this movie, apparently. So I thought it was about time travel. <laughs> so
1: that classic Queen hit was inspired by the Highlander. Or I'm sorry, Highlander, not the. Oh, I always get that wrong. And also, Christopher Lambert, the main actor, the main character here who plays Connor McLeod, our Scottish hero, mm-hmm. did not speak English when they hired him to do this movie. <laughs> really? Yeah, he's French and did not speak English. He apparently spent six weeks in an intensive English boot camp to get his language skills up to snuff.
0: That's intense. They
1: are not. Oh, I mean, no, he speaks really good English, or at least he reads really good English lines, but his accent, as I'll cover in detail when we get to it, is nutso. This is exciting. All right, so we open with red text, Highlander, and then more red text, which is narrated by none other than Sean Connery. I thought he was somehow involved in this movie. (laughs) Oh, he very much is. And in fact, spoiler alert, he and Christopher Lambert became such good friends that in the sequel, he was the one person Christopher Lambert insisted come back and reprise his role. And in fact, according to the INDb trivia page, which is always right, this was the only role that Sean Connery ever reprised aside from James Bond.
0: Like in the future movies? Because there's more than one, right?
1: Well, I don't know if he did it in three, four or however many were but at least in the immediate sequel Highlander 2 he appeared okay so anyway there's a big block of narration from Sean Connery I again won't do the accents I don't want to embarrass myself or Scotland you should do it <laughs> nope Oh, <Aww.
0: laughs> <laughs> you're no fun
1: no I'm not no I'm not From the dawn of time, we came, moving silently down through the centuries, living many secret lives, struggling to reach the time of the gathering, when the few who remain will battle to the last. No one has ever known we were among you, until now.
0: Dun-dun-dun!
1: So then, Queen's Princes of the Universe starts playing, and their opening credits roll.
0: I want to see this movie so bad if it has a Queen soundtrack and is set in Scotland and has time travel that's not time travel.
1: It's not time travel, but this is what i talk about here is the next thing that's going to become very obvious in the opening is that this movie jumps around a lot. It has scenes that just smash cut from scene to scene to scene, and it'll go... Modern day New York, smash cut to 15th century Scotland, back to modern day New York for like two minutes and then back to Scotland. So I'm going to do my best to convey this jumping around, but it's going to be weird. Okay. So it cuts to a pro wrestling match.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And it's this big burly guy getting into the ring and it's weirdly sexual because he's like taking off his robe in a kind of like come hither way and this cuts to this girl sticking her tongue out. And then it cuts to a TV that's showing the wrestling match, but the TV's still in the arena where the wrestling match is taking place. And the camera sort of then flies over the crowd and does like a – kind of like a helicopter shot, but it's not a helicopter. I think it's like a crane system or wires or something. Mm -hmm. Goes over the crowd and everyone's cheering and settles on this dour man in a trench coat sitting there while everyone else is cheering. He's just like not having a good time and he's broody as all heck. And it's just like, oh, hello – Sad man in a cheering crowd of wrestling fans. Good to meet you. (laughs) The man closes his eyes and there's a flashback to a brief battle in medieval Scotland. And then it keeps cutting between the man and Scotland, like, rapidly. Every, like, couple of seconds, it's cutting back and forth. And he gets up and he leaves the arena suddenly. He just, like, looks around and gets out like a rabbit who is startled. And he wanders into a parking garage. Everything's very dark and gritty. It has that 80s kind of grit to it.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles?
1: Yes, like it's oddly dark. Like Everything that's shot in New York is night or rainy or dark.
0: There's no daylight in New York City.
1: (laughs) There is. I mean, they have some daylight scenes, but the overall feeling from the film is one of dark grittiness, which is great because it's a goofy movie and I love that. So he's walking through this parking garage and he's winding around when suddenly a man in aviator glasses and a suit pops up behind him just like appears and goes, McLeod. And then McLeod goes, Facile. Wait. And then the dude just pulls out a sword and swings it at McLeod. As you do. <laughs> As you do, just a big old sword under a coat and he does it and Are they
0: in an empty space alleyway?
1: I mean it's it's a parking garage attached oh, to the right, arena, I presume. Yeah. And there's no one there, but there are lots of cars. And McLeod pulls out a sword from under his trench coat, and they just go at it.
0: Is that why he was wearing a trench coat? Because there was a sword under?
1: <laughs> yes, yes. You're, you're putting all the pieces together, Danielle. It's great. <laughs> and they fight, and it's kind of lackluster, and it's really funny because is in this black suit, and McLeod is in a trench coat, jeans, and sneakers, which is a heck of a combo. <laughs> like a brown trench coat, not even like a cool trench coat.
0: That's how I imagined it in my head, actually, weirdly. Good.
1: It's like your default trench coat. It's the kind <laughs> you would expect in any sort of film noir kind of thing. And it's great. So they fight and every time their swords hit, they're like sparks go flying every time they hit anything. And apparently they hooked up batteries to the swords that like ran wires down the people's arms so they could get these sparks flying. And I love the 80s.
0: Like an off screen. I'm assuming not in the movie. Not
1: in the movie. <laughs> but like, no, the special effects hooked to the batteries. So everything was sparks everywhere, which is ridiculous. How, did that, how does
0: it spark? How does that work? Sorry, it's not related to the movie. I'm just curious. (laughs) You have a
1: battery in each thing. When they connect, it causes an arc. Like if you ever like touch the terminal of a battery together, you get a spark. Yeah. Yeah. Electricity is great.
0: That's interesting.
1: So the swords are literally electrified and it looks like it, but they're not in the movie. So it's very weird.
0: (laughs) Well, magic swords. Immortals, right? They're immortals, aren't they, immortals? Well, you don't know that yet. Well, but I do from the description.
1: <laughs> that didn't happen. It's all very over the top. Like, at one point, Mikhail is swinging his sword, and he hits a pipe, and steam shoots in his face, because steam pipes in parking garages. And Fasil is on top of a car hood, and he puts his sword down, like, backflips off the hood, then picks the sword back up. And there was no reason for him to do that backflip. <laughs> It was just completely unnecessary, but it's great. And they're all flipping around. Like, Fascio does this, like, big backflip. He's doing, like, a tumbling routine, just backflipping through the parking garage for some reason. <laughs> and it's great. It's so good. And they're fighting and they're fighting. I won't go into much detail because it's kind of boring to retell a fight scene. But trust me, they're worth watching.
0: I'm excited about this. I'm going to watch this later. I can already tell. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. I've
1: already done my job then. My job <laughs> is done
0: i'm excited about this one and so neither of them
1: look like they're really confident in their sword fighting skills although apparently they trained with sword fighting masters but it kind of looks like you know star wars when obi-wan and darth vader in the first star wars movie are fighting and they kind of just like poke at each other (laughs) half-heartedly that's kind of what it's like in some ways then other times just over the top like giant swings anyway So MacLeod eventually disarms Facile, his opponent, and then just cuts his head off, just straight up chops his head clean off in one stroke.
0: That was not going where I thought it was going. (laughs) Yeah,
1: where do you think it was going
0: to go? I don't know. I just thought they had some long history and that the person would be around a lot longer, but apparently his head was just cut off. Unless they're immortals and they can live past getting their heads cut off. Nope.
1: His head gets cut off (laughs) and then like that 80s blue lightning spark effect comes up and like come from the body of the seal and his body starts like shaking and lightning comes off of it and the spotlight and a wind machine turn on because you see that McCloud now is in a spotlight and his hair is all blowing in the wind and the cars start to freak out and explosions go off. He's going as the lightning surrounds him and then it all sort of dies down and then he runs away. McLeod just runs away out of the parking lot after he stashes his sword in the roof of the parking garage.
0: Why didn't he just put it back under his trench coat?
1: Danielle, I don't know.
0: Well, that was my question. I'm like, it from?
1: why do you stash the sword in the parking? Garage? Maybe he, we'll see. It was a smart idea later, and apparently he's clairvoyant because he had to see this coming. But apparently, we'll get to that. There's a whole other stuff. We had to go back in time first, Danielle, because now after that daring fight scene, we travel back to medieval Scotland, 1536. Okay, where MacLeod is riding to battle. And he's got long, gorgeous hair, which he doesn't have in the future. It's short, which is very sad. That is sad. And he is the chief or some high muckety-muck in the Clan McLeod. And someone, I think his cousin, says, Are you scared, Connor? And he answers with an accent that I can only describe as unique.
0: So now you do the accents? (laughs)
1: Look, Sean Connery's too famous. I'm not going to try to do many accents, (laughs) but I just got to try to do Christopher Lambert's accent because... I'm not going to get it right, because it is too special and too unique to be replicated. But something like, <laughs> no, cousin Dougal, I'm not. And he's just sort of like, got this Sounds weird... Like sort of Arnold
0: Schwarzenegger.
1: <laughs> I, I know. It's like, it has a sort of weird clipped way of speaking that, like, the cadence is wrong for English. Uh-huh. Like, it's not bad. It's just a native speaker hears and goes, there's just something I kept my finger on that makes it sound not quite right.
0: Yes, he's trying.
1: He is. He's doing a good job for someone who didn't speak English six weeks ago. Yeah, right. It's I mean, very impressive. Not Scottish. It doesn't sound like an English speaker, much less a Scotsman. And it's really great. It's and (laughs) his accent doesn't change very much from Scotland and New York. So he like sometimes will put on a Scottish accent and sometimes won't. And the future, it's never there. So it's just really great to see his accent kind of not change and (laughs) also change at random. It's great. I really, I really love it. It's so much fun listening to him talk. And he's funny. It's a funny movie. Christopher Lambert does a great job like hamming it up and it's good. But it's insane because everyone around him is talking in like perfect Scottish accents and he doesn't even try.
0: Are the rest of the actors Scottish or is there a mix of
1: I think it's a mix. Apparently, they hired a bunch of extras from Scotland. Like they went to the university and hired a bunch of students to play them. But the main actors, I don't know if they're Scottish or not. Hmm. I didn't look them up. But they do a reasonably good Scottish accent. According to you. <laughs> Again, I'm not an expert, but as someone who doesn't know much about Scottish accents, I would hear the accent go, "Oh, yes, that's a Scottish accent. I don't know how accurate it is, but at least I can identify it as Scottish. You cannot identify Lambert's accent as anything. You're like, what? It's English, but I don't know like where it's from. It's not like Australian or whatever. It's just, it's just not somewhere on this planet. It is a unique to him accent.
0: <laughs> the best kind.
1: Yeah. So he's riding a horse. And they're going off to battle and a beautiful woman runs up and gives him a flower and asks him to be careful and tells all the other guys to like protect him and look out for my Connor. And so they ride out and the army square off and there's a lightning storm. And lightning's a big theme in this movie. It's everywhere. It's all the time. Everything, something dramatic's happening. There's lightning.
0: Excellent. That's the best thing to happen.
1: Yeah. The lightning looks fake as heck. Cause it looks like it's like drawn on in that 80s effect in the sky and it's great. And McCloud and his clan is on one side and it cuts to this evil looking dude who's literally wearing bone armor. Uh And he's there and he goes, there is one called Connor among them. He's mine. And (laughs) like, you know, no one kills him but me or whatever. And so there's this battle and it's kind of an amazingly brutal battle scene. And I really got into the IMDb trivia for this movie because it's kind of insane. But they hired all these Scottish students from the local school to be extras in these scenes. And apparently they got a little drunk and started really pounding each other. And the medic was (laughs) apparently kept pretty busy patching up the cuts and bruises. So the battle scene looks brutal. Authentic,
0: you might say.
1: (laughs) McLeod is sort of wandering through watching his men get like drowned and stabbed. And at one time, this priest who is apparently there, like, slits a guy's throat and then goes, forgive me, my son. So, thumbs up. Great
0: movie. Why is there a priest there? I don't know, Danielle. Why is he slitting a
1: dude's throat from behind? It's insane!
0: Maybe they're doing last rites on the battlefield. By murdering them to give them the last rites? No, I meant like maybe that's what the priest is there for and he just happens to also be murdering people. <laughs> okay, sure. That's such a bad guy move to be like, that one right there, only I'm allowed to kill that person, which is a terrible battle strategy. <laughs>
1: no, no, because it's a very good reason for that, which we don't know, but he knows.
0: But that happens a lot
1: in movies. Yeah, I agree. In general, saying like the leader, he's mine. Dumb in this case is the one exception to the rule.
0: Excellent! I'm so excited.
1: <laughs> and there's bagpipes. So in addition to the murdering there's increases, bagpipes? Wait, what? there's bagpipes playing. The whole scene is bagpipes during the battle, and it's it's so good. It's so good, Danielle. Is
0: it like classic bagpipe music, or is it like '80s bagpipe music?
1: What I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what What do I know about classical bagpipe music? It doesn't sound like synthesized. It's dudes in kilt playing bagpipes, and okay. sounds like. Bag? What do I know from bagpipe music, Danielle?
0: I'm mean, just like, is it a modern bagpiper song or is it like old school Scottish music?
1: Name a modern bagpipe song, Danielle. <laughs> Name one. <laughs>
0: know. It could be anything. It's probably played differently if it's like a modern effect to it. I'm sure there are bagpipe players out there who play modern music.
1: Oh, I'm sure there are too, but this isn't like they're doing a Queen cover on bagpipes, That's which would be awesome. That's what
0: I was awesome. kind of curious about. Not like Queen specifically, but I was just curious no, if it sounded like modern. classic
1: bagpipe battle music. <laughs> okay.
0: I'm trying to envision this, Sam.
1: I know. It's, it's hard. Again, I'm not going to try to dwell too much on the visuals because this is a very visually intense movie and there's a lot going on. So I'm not going to do that too much, but I will try to bring up the most important parts, because they're too great to leave out.
0: Please continue.
1: So, no one will fight McCloud. He's wandering around yelling, fight me, you cowards! (laughs) Fight me! And everyone just sort of runs away from him. It's great. (laughs) So then the evil dude rides up on a horse, gets off his horse and says, Fight me. And then Connor lifts up his sword to attack him and just gets stabbed right in the side.
0: By the guy? Yeah. Why?
1: <laughs> <laughs> the evil just stabs him. It's the funniest thing. Oh, he just gets no. stabbed. It's so good. It's just so quick. It's just over. And the guy's just really driving it in there, and he pulls out a sword, Connor collapses, he's about to chop off Connor's head, and he cries, there can be only one! When Connor's friends rush over and tackle the evil dude away, like, football carry him away, Uh and he screams, another time, (laughs) McLeod! And that's it! He doesn't fight the guys off, he doesn't come back for him, he just lets himself be carried away, and he's like, I'll get you next time, Gadget! (laughs) It's great. And then we cut back to the present, 1985. Well, I'm going to say present as 1985, just because otherwise I'm going to go insane. But modern day, I got quote unquote, it. New York. And Connor is hauling butt out of the parking lot in this car when all these cops pull up and surround him. And they're like pointing guns at him, get out of the car. And he gets up and they're like kind of rough handling him. Why did
0: the cops come? Why? Yeah.
1: I have no idea. Maybe they heard something about a guy getting decapitated in a parking garage people tend to show up exactly where they're needed with no explanation of how they got there (laughs) in this movie
0: okay so the cops are there and they like pat him down
1: and they don't find any swords on him because he was smart and stashed his sword in the roof of the parking garage because he's apparently psychic and could see that coming (laughs) prophetic dreams and so they shove him into the cop car and he's arrested and then it cuts back to scotland connor is lying in his house apparently dying, and his girl, whoever it was, is, like, keening and wailing over him. And she's pulled away, saying, like, you know, that's no way for a Highlander to be remembered at the end of his life. He should be left in peace to die with dignity. And then it cuts back to the parking garage, (laughs) where the police are photographing the decapitated body, and a woman walks up, who looks like she's part of the forensics team, apparently. And people are like, hey, Brenda, looking good. So, you know, casual sexism. Great.
0: (laughs) Ah, the 80s. (laughs) This movie, I don't know if it's making
1: fun of that because these guys are not portrayed as heroes. They're kind of portrayed as jerks. Uh So, it's kind of a good takedown of that. (laughs) So, she's walking around and we learn we're in New York, New Jersey area. And Brenda, as a forensic person, she finds one of the swords under a car, so that's not the one that Connor hid that must have belonged to Vasile, which she identifies immediately as a rare million-dollar sword.
0: Wait, why?
1: Because she's a sword expert, which we learn later, oh, but we don't know that right sure. now. Sure.
0: When she was brought... To, why, why, why is she a sword expert? Because, Danielle, <laughs> the plot demands it. Because <laughs> most people are not.
1: <laughs> she's not only a forensic investigator for the NYPD. She is a sword expert. She wrote a book about it.
0: Oh, Well, it was very convenient for her to show up in this parking garage where a sword fight took place.
1: (laughs) Right? It's amazing. It's so great. So then it cuts back to Connor, who is now sitting in a police interrogation room. And he's being questioned under the name of Nash. So he's an antiques dealer, name of Nash. And they ask him about the murder. He's like, I don't know anything about this. And one of the cops in there says, you talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? And he responds, lots of different places. (laughs) And... That's a good line. And they use that to sort of justify his accent being insane, even though it hasn't really changed since he was in Scotland.
0: (laughs) In thousands of years.
1: Hundreds, Danielle, but
0: Wait, where was it? What was it set in? 1536 Scotland. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm paying attention, I swear.
1: (laughs) So I don't really get the accent, but it's cute that they try to play it off with the joke. And there's some casual homophobia from the cop who's like, well, you're there trying to get some tail. And... Connor beats the crap out of him. There's a fight. And then after they break up the cop and Connor, who I'll call Nash or Connor, after they break up the fight, Nash asks, am I under arrest? And they go, no. And it's like, then we're through. And he walks out. But also, why isn't he under arrest?
0: (laughs) He just beat up a cop.
1: (laughs) Well, there was that. But also, he was just found at the site of a murder. The only person in there trying to drive away fleeing the scene of a murder That's a pretty good reason maybe to hold a suspect for a a
0: few hours. That's at least like 24
1: or something. Yeah, to see if they can get some evidence. Like, they haven't even run the forensics tests yet. They haven't finished searching the parking garage. And it's like, no, get on, get out of here, you're fine. We'll call you later if anything comes up. It's so weird. So then we're back to the evil guy now, driving like a Cadillac or a Lincoln or some big car, blaring Queen on the radio, and he signs into a skeezy motel, and... He's the Kurgan, although he goes under a different name of Victor Krugen, which I will never use again because it's not brought up again in the movie.
0: Is that the guy from before? The bad guy?
1: The same guy who's like, another time, Cloud. Okay. And he has a massive scar on his throat. And in his room, oh my god, this is my, okay, this is my favorite thing. In his room, he opens up a briefcase and inside is like, you ever see a sniper rifle that's been like being assembled by an assassin and they take out the briefcase and there's a sniper rifle and they're putting all the parts together? yes. It's that, but it's a claymore. Uh, It's a sword. (laughs) So he opens up this briefcase, and like little foam slots are pieces of a giant sword all taken apart, and he starts assembling it together. And I'm no swordsmith. I don't know a lot about swords. (laughs) How does that work? (laughs) But I think, like, a sword where even the blade is in two pieces would compromise its structural integrity. Like, the minute you hit something with that, it's just going to snap in half. It doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, that's I I don't, I don't, I don't know. I can't, (laughs) I can't support that nonsense.
1: So he's assembling the sword and it keeps cutting to him, like, practicing with, like, swinging it around and rolling it between his arms and, like, dancing around his hotel room, swinging it as he's assembling it. And so I I don't really get why that's happening, but he's, you know, he's, like, going, at last, the gathering, as he's assembling the sword. And then a prostitute walks in the room and says, hi, I'm Candy. And he just goes, hmm, of course you are. (laughs)
0: no (laughs) and the scene
1: ends it's great it's really good it's hilarious
0: (laughs) she's not concerned by the sword play
1: (laughs) apparently he's no she's just like alright cool she's probably walked it
0: on weirder things I guess
1: who knows But it's so funny. It's just such a great thing. Clancy Brown is probably my – I love Christopher Lambert, but Clancy Brown hams it up. He is the most, like, crazy, evil punk rock dude ever in this movie. It's so good. (laughs) So we're cutting out back to Connor retrieving his sword from the parking garage. And apparently there's no one there, like, stopping him. He just walks in and grabs his sword, even though it's an active crime scene where a guy was just decapitated.
0: It's like no police presence at all.
1: No. I mean, maybe it was a few days ago. I don't know. But then Brenda shows up. She had just been running some tests in the lab. And she's like, this can't be right. And she goes to the parking garage. And Nash, Connor, whoever, quickly hides behind a post as she goes into the parking garage and pulls some metal filings out of a cut in one of the stone pillars where they were fighting, the concrete pillars. Mm-hmm. And then he runs off, and she like hears him run away. He's like, hello? Is anyone there? So that's neat.
0: I love when people do that in movies. Like The bad guy's going to be like, oh, yes, I'm over here.
1: <laughs> so then it cuts to Brenda at a bar. When Connor shows up in the bar and strikes up a conversation with her, like, oh, you go to the square often? Because apparently that was Madison Square Garden.
0: So she knows that he's a person of interest Suspect? in this. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. she
1: I mean, I assume she does. I would hope she does.
0: So she's just like chatting with this guy that she knows is a suspect in a murder investigation. Well, she's
1: not really into the chat. And she's like, are you following me? And he's like, no. And he says, but I'd like to walk you home. And she's like, I can walk myself home. Thank you. And just leaves. Huh. And I'm like, oh, good for her.
0: Good. Because <laughs> that's like a terrible idea. So she walks out,
1: and then Connor walks out a minute later, and apparently Brenda is like hiding behind the corner of the bar and follows Connor, plot twist, as he walks away. So she's following him now. Trixie. And then he ducks into an alley, and she walks by the alley, and he pulls her in, like just a thing of the hand over the mouth, Uh and she's about to yell. He's like, be quiet. And then immediately while they're doing that, Kurgan just pops up and swings a sword at Connor, just like, (laughs) peekaboo,
0: surprise, sword. (laughs) (laughs) it's so good (laughs) there's a lot going on in this alley
1: (laughs) yeah so connor like shows brenda away and pulls out his sword and they fight in the alley and there's sparks and they're fighting blah 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 blah, blah. it's a great scene there's steam everywhere and kurgan yells there can be only one and as he kicks mcconnor's butt (laughs) but then a police helicopter shows up somehow
0: (laughs) why why is there a police helicopter
1: and it shines a spotlight on them, and the crook runs away, no. <laughs> yelling, "Another time, Highlander!" <laughs> <laughs>
0: Why? Is I don't understand this at all.
1: <laughs> no, it gets better, and then the cloud runs away, and the guy on the top just goes, "Hey, stop that!" <laughs> like in that exact deadpan voice, he's like, "Hey, stop that!" They run away, and that's it. They just run away from the
0: helicopter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and nobody like follows them the helicopter doesn't give chase they just run away I'm like,
0: why is the helicopter even there <laughs> that's a great
1: question <laughs> maybe brenda called it in what? i don't know it's
0: like on our cell phone from 1986
1: <laughs> good point danielle i forgot <laughs> walkie-talkies sort of thing i don't know and then a brenda sort of chases after connor is like Who was that guy? What did he mean by there can be only one? Why did he call you Highlander? And kind of sort of like says, go away, leave me alone and leaves. Like definitely not telling you. Oh, man, that's a great scene. It's really good. (laughs) I can't recommend it enough. So we're back in medieval Scotland. Connor is fine. He apparently healed entirely from his mortal wound. (laughs) And his people are like talking about this, like he's got the devil in him. How is he still walking? He should be dead. And his girlfriend and one of his cousins, one of the two people who was like his best friends on the oh, battlefield. Two of them.
0: I thought you said his girlfriend who's like, who is one of his cousins? <laughs> no, best, no, no. Like, I what? mean, maybe.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, maybe. Maybe. Maybe got one. <laughs> who knows? I don't know their relationship. They're clans. There's lots of inbreeding. <laughs> it's fine. So anyway, they're all talking about him, you know, in these hushed tones about it ain't natural. He's got the devil in him. And he walks in to the bar tavern, whatever, where they're all drinking, and everyone sort of goes silent, like, you should be dead, like, would you rather I was dead? And they're like, you should go, and he's like, no, I'm gonna sit here and drink with my kin, and then he gets a bottle smashed over his head, uh-huh. and the next scene is them like, he's up in a pillory, but one that doesn't have, like, a post, so he's just got his arms and head in this wooden crossbar, and he's being dragged through the mud of the street and being, like, beaten by all the people in the village. And his girlfriend and his cousin are like, beat the devil out of him!
0: Why is everybody so scared of him earlier and then apparently he can just get stabbed and kidnapped?
1: What? Stabbed and kidnapped? When did he get stabbed and kidnapped? He
0: got stabbed because he almost died and then he just got kidnapped and thrown into a pillory.
1: Oh well, okay. I guess as a kidnapping. I thought you met back in New York or something. I'm getting okay, my timelines mixed up. Uh, I don't know. They think he has a devil. I, that's all I got, Danielle. Religious persecution. Okay. So they're all you know they're all really up to like burning at the stake. When one of his other cousins, Angus or McDougal, I think it's Angus. They're I can't keep them straight. <laughs> they're like
0: complete. Are there, are there two separate people called Angus and McDougal? Yeah, one's
1: got brown hair, one's got red hair. Oh, okay. So yeah.
0: <laughs> I was but, just trying to figure out how you confuse the names Angus and McDougal because they're very different well,
1: names. They're very different names, but they're both like generic Scots name. Like, what's the most Scottish name I can think of? McDougal, Angus. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so they're about to burn the stake when it's definitely Angus who goes up and says, stop. There'll be no burning here. We'll just banish him. And he asks him, can you walk? And he says, I'll bloody well walk out of here. They kick him out and he's just seen wandering the moors of Scotland in the pillory, walking away. So, that's fun. So, then we're back to 1985, (laughs) where we're at Connor's massive antique shop slash home, which I am so jealous of. It's amazing. It's the most beautiful, giant open apartment, windows, beautiful couches. It's so great. All immortal people are rich. I mean, they have time to amass quite a bit of wealth. So, yeah. Apparently. It looks amazing. And then he sits down on his couch and then He's back in Scotland. He closes his eyes, like remembering being back in Scotland. And now it's like five years later. He's living in a small stone tower with another girl working as a blacksmith. The girl is named Heather. And he has this gross matted hair because he's working on something. And the girl comes up to him and is like, hey, Connor, how you doing? They like play around a bit. And he dunks his head into a, a water barrel. And then it cuts to a next scene where they're sort of having sex out on a hill in Scotland. And his hair is now suddenly clean and very nice.
0: Well, it was probably later. He probably took a shower.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, Showers in 14th, in 15th century I meant, Scotland. I met like a whatever.
0: bath or went to the nearby lake or something. People t- occasionally got wet <laughs> in the...
1: <laughs> okay yes they did especially in this movie hey oh all right so they're having sex out on this field when suddenly sean connery yells hello and jumps a horse over them
0: wait sean connery's here yeah sean
1: connery's here so <laughs> <laughs> they're having sex and suddenly here hello and a horse jumps over them and it's sean connery wearing this red suit with like peacock feathered hat It's crazy. Uh Uh-huh. And he introduces himself as Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, chief metallurgist to the King Charles of Spain.
0: Uh Uh-huh. So he's a a Scottish person who's playing, like, a Spanish person?
1: No, no. We learn later he's Egyptian (laughs) by way of Spain. And he's... Got on connery's scottish accent talking to the french guy playing the scotsman with the crazy accent it's all bonkers it's so good why would
0: they not use it for a scottish role that must have been purposeful <laughs>
1: I, asked, I don't know. I think it was I don't know why. It's insane. But the Scottish guy plays the Egyptian Spaniard and the French guy <laughs> plays the Scotchman, and none of their accents make any sense.
0: Oh, I love this casting. My favorite part. It's so
1: good. It's such a great movie. It's so good. Anyway, he introduces himself as Juan Sanchez Velobez Ramirez, chief metallurgist the King, Charles of Spain. So now we enter the exposition part of the movie, where Sean Connery, Ramirez, whatever, agrees to train <laughs> Connor in sword fighting, and other things, because after they first meet, Ramirez goes up to Connor and suddenly lightning starts flashing and he's doubling over in pain, like, oh, and he says, go inside, woman. And then it just sort of cuts to shots of Connor getting struck by lightning. Uh-huh. Like he sticks his head up in the air, like lightning strikes his fingers. And you hear Ramirez talking and he's like, you feel that? That's the quickening. <laughs> there's my one, there's my one Sean Connor reaction it was for solid. The,
0: Good job.
1: <laughs> thank you. That feeling is the quickening. What's the quickening? I don't know. We'll find out later, probably. Maybe. I have a question. We'll cut back to the present. A question? Yes, please. So he,
0: so people were scared of him before, <laughs> Connor, yes. right? Yes. He said on the battlefield nobody wanted to fight him? Well, that's because the,
1: the evil dude said, don't fight him, he's mine. They weren't oh, scared of him because of anything they knew about him. They were just following the orders.
0: Is he a good swordsman yet, or is he just terrible at it? I don't know. Not good enough. i was just curious why... Sean Connery Ramirez was like, hey, I want (laughs) to train you on sword play. We'll get to that, probably. (laughs) Okay. But there's a lot
1: more 1985 to get through to get back to 1530, I guess it's 1541 now. Anyway, so we're back to the present and Connor is polishing his sword, not a euphemism, and he's he's reading a book by Brenda about ancient metallurgy and sword making. So he knows who she is because he's reading her book.
0: How did he find her book? Google wasn't a thing.
1: Apparently, and he says this later in the movie, he has an extensive library.
0: It just happened to have that one. I guess. There's probably not a huge collection of very specific sword books.
1: Yeah. And he's a dude who's into swords, clearly. So he would have sword books. <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'll buy it. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs>
1: So he's doing that, and then it flashes back to Ramirez has Connor on a boat, they're rowing out in the middle of a lake, and Connor's like, "I don't like being out here. I'm, I can't swim." And he's standing up like he's doing a balance test on the boat, uh-huh. and they're bantering back and forth. He calls Ramirez uh, a haggis or a Spanish peacock, which is great because he doesn't sound Spanish in the least.
0: Sean <laughs> Connery sounds exactly the same in every movie he's ever been in. He
1: does. It's so good. No
0: matter what he's playing, he's always Sean Connery. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Sean is like or I guess Ramirez I keep calling him Sean Connery because
0: he's just such a <laughs> he not, is Sean Connery
1: yeah this is not a character he disappears into this is Sean Connery <laughs> so he's he's like you don't get it you still don't understand what I'm trying to tell you and he tips the boat and McLeod falls out of the boat and drowns and begins to drown and then Sean Connery rows the boat away and McLeod is drowning and he goes and he sinks to the bottom of the lake and then he's like oh wait I can breathe I'm fine. So like a mermaid, just chilling <laughs> on the bottom of the lake. How does he breathe? Danielle, shut up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a valid question.
1: He's immortal, Danielle. He doesn't need to breathe like mortals do. I don't know.
0: But he didn't know he was immortal like two seconds ago, right?
1: No, he didn't. He's just fine, chilling on the bottom of the lake, and he walks along the bottom of the lake until he walks out of the lake and he's trying to sneak up on Sean Connery who set up a campfire and he swings the sword at Sean Connery and Sean Connery just disappears and is out behind him is like, clumsy, very clumsy. I don't need to train you.
0: Okay. So Sean Connery knew that he was going to survive falling yes. to the lake. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise it's really weird that he just went up on shore and was like, Oh, well he's dead. <laughs> Yeah, no. Sean Connery knows. So Sean Connery tells
1: him that he's an immortal and Sean Connery is also another immortal. And he was born in, like, you know, B.C., Egypt, and then has lived 2,000-some years, and has been, you know, wandering around since then, and he's come to chain him. And Ramirez explains that there are some immortals born. Why? Don't ask questions. It just happens. (laughs) And people will fear and hate them. They have power, and they have to learn to hide their power. And they're all being pulled towards the gathering, when only a few of them remain, and they will fight to the death for the prize. What's the prize, Danielle? Don't ask questions. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's a prize. You won it.
0: Okay. So do more immortals, like, recognize other immortals? It seems like they all know yes. each other.
1: So that's what the quickening is. It's like the sensation you have when you're near another immortal where you can sort of feel the pull towards them. Okay. And the only way to kill a mortal is to decapitate them.
0: Well, good thing he decapitated that dude.
1: And they have to fight until there's only one left at the gathering. There can be only one. So this is
0: like a deathmatch Hunger games yeah, battle scenario. Yeah, exactly. Okay. He
1: also tells them that they're safe on holy ground. It's tradition. None of us will violate that law. But why? Also, what's holy ground? because some ground is holy to everybody, right? That's true. So that's unclear to me. But
0: not relevant to the plot, I'm assuming. Uh, I mean,
1: there's one scene in The Church Later where they don't fight because holy ground. Right, but they but, take it yeah. at like a
0: really specific version of holy ground.
1: <laughs> I guess. It's never really expanded upon. Anyway, so they can't fight on holy ground. So then it does this training montage kind of thing, where Sean Connery is training McLeod in sword fighting. And then there's this weird scene at the end of it where... They're on a beach, and there's a stag, and Chunk Connery is telling him, feel the stag. Become one with the stag. Feel its blood in your veins. And I'm not sure what's going on. He's like, I feel it. And they start running off down the beach, apparently very fast, because they now have stag speed.
0: Really? Does it only work with stags?
1: That was my question. It is never brought up again. Really? So, It's just like yep.
0: a one-off thing?
1: It's sort of just something that happens. It's just sort of to highlight that they're special. I mean, it kind of is at the very end explained, but mm, not really.
0: That seems like a scene that would have ended up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> <laughs> it did
1: not. So Ramirez advises Miss Cloud to leave his wife, his partner Heather, because she, one, will grow old and die, and he won't, because he's immortal. Mm-hmm. Also, they can't have children, because apparently the immortals are sterile.
0: Okay. Sure.
1: No no babies for them.
0: Can't have other immortals.
1: <laughs> nope. Apparently not. So Ramirez explains that he's over two thousand years old and his last wife was a Japanese princess, and the Japanese princess's dad made him a very special sword. And then he was shattered when she died. So it's better just to leave and not watch his loved ones grow old and die. Connor doesn't really agree. So he decides to stay and be with Heather. But Ramirez further explains that there's this evil dude tracking him down. The guy he saw on the plane or initially, the evil guy, the Kurgan he explains that he's from a race of people called the Kurgans who are from way back in time. So his
0: name is Kurgan, and he's from a race called the Kurgans? No, they just call him
1: the Kurgan. Okay. He's, he never gets a name. He just call him the Kurgan. And they're from Russia, like the steppes of Russia. It's a brutal ancient race, and he is super evil and very powerful. He's the most powerful of the immortals. And if he wins the prize, it'll be darkness for the whole world forever. I still not know what the prize is. Apparently, it's bad if he gets it. Do
0: we ever find out what the prize is? Kinda. Okay. <laughs> don't spoil it. It's <laughs> fine. I was just curious.
1: <laughs> I'll just kind of leave it at that. So there's some more shots of McLeod and Heather. You know, they're in the village. They're having a good time. Heather sees some kids. And it was like wistful at them. And Connor starts to feel a little bit of pain, guilt. And it cuts to a scene where Heather and Ramirez are drinking in the tower and Connor's not there. They're just having some fun drinking wine. And suddenly the Kurgan shows up and he busts in through the door and they fight. And it's a really great scene because they're in this big stone tower. The tower is basically being torn apart while they're fighting it. They They swing their swords and they knock down walls of the tower <laughs> and it's slowly being destroyed.
0: Are the swords that powerful?
1: I don't know. Apparently, <laughs> like, if you're immortal
0: wielding them. Normal sword play, like would not knock down walls. <laughs> it would absolutely
1: not knock down walls. But there's <laughs> lightning flashing and these guys are immortal, powerful beings, I guess. So they're fighting and Ramirez manages to slice the Kurgan's throat, which is where he got that lovely scar and actually changes his voice. He talks much more gruffly now in the, in the future uh-huh. than he did before his throat got slit.
0: We like continuity.
1: Yeah. Clancy Brown really pulling out all the stops there. <laughs> and they tear apart the tower and eventually it's just the staircase left of the tower and they're on it and it's Ramirez on the staircase and the Kurgan on the staircase and Ramirez gets bested, his sword gets knocked away, and the Kurgan cuts off his head, and that same sort of lightning thing happens, where the body explodes in lightning, and the Kurgan gets, like, all the lightning goes into him, and the tower collapses on the lightning, and then Heather sort of walks towards where the Kurgan was buried under rubble, which, bad idea, maybe run away. But then the Kerry sticks his hand out and grabs Heather and it's implied that he attacks her.
0: Oh no, Sean Connery's dead, Heather's dead.
1: Well, it's much worse than that. <laughs> uh.
0: <laughs> the entire tower is collapsed.
1: Yeah. And then we're back in the present. Brenda, the forensics person, shows up at Connor's antique shop and is questioning his secretary, and then Connor shows up and says, Have dinner with me. And she's like, Fine, come to my place for dinner. Which
0: what? So she's questioning the secretary just about him? He's like,
1: where is Nash? I got to talk to Nash. He has some questions he has to answer for me. Uh-huh. And then Nash shows up and she's like, you have questions. We can talk at dinner.
0: This is the worst idea. Again, he's a suspect in a murder.
1: Yeah, no kidding. She's like, yeah, just come to my apartment for dinner.
0: What would happen like, if this went to trial? like You'd be in so much trouble as a cop? Or Oh, this is awful. She's, she's so here.
1: fired. So then it cuts to a police station where one of the cops is telling the lieutenant they saw Brenda in Nash's shop talking to Nash. And then it cuts to McCloud in a dark room and his secretary walks up to him. And apparently she knows he's immortal because she's like, you live forever, but you can't always hide from me or whatever. And then it cuts to a flashback.
0: So wait, does he – did he just find out that she knew that he was immortal or is she known no, no. for a while? She's known for – we're going to find out right now.
1: Okay. Because it cuts to a flashback of World War II where Connor – is running through a battlefield in Europe in World War II. And he ducks into a bombed out barn. Was he conscripted? Why
0: is he in the army? I don't know, Danielle.
1: He's just there.
0: (laughs) He's just just in a battlefield.
1: (laughs) Just hanging out in a battlefield. Who knows? And he finds a scared child under some rubble in this barn. She's maybe five or six. And she speaks perfect English. They both do because Europe, I guess. Uh And he asks her what happened. She says, everybody's dead. So in a very deadpan way, it's kind of like Newt in Aliens, about like, they mostly come out at night.
0: Mostly come out at night, mostly.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's really great. And so he picks her up and says, you know, come with me. I'll keep you safe. And as they're walking away, this Nazi officer just machine guns him in the back, just blasts (laughs) him. And he falls over and pretends to be dead. And the girl's like, you're not dead. And he's like, shh. And the Nazi (laughs) officer walks over to him. And he like knocks the officer down, takes the machine gun, points it at the officer. And the officer says something in German. And Connor's like, whatever you say, Jack, you're the bastard race. And then blasts him away. (laughs) It's intense. (laughs) It's really great. It's so like quippy and over the top, like a parody almost of action movies. And so apparently that little girl is the secretary in New York. And so like his adopted daughter in name of Rachel.
0: So she's like forty, fifties now, older.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. She's pretty old. She's in her fifties. And in the present, Rachel says that he's lonely and he can't hide it from her, and then the scene ends. So then it's at Brenda's house. So he goes to dinner at Brenda's house and she set up a secret tape recorder and hidden a gun in her room, which apparently she thinks is enough to do something. I don't know what her plan is. <laughs>
0: Terrible! It's seriously a terrible idea.
1: No, never invite a murder suspect that you have no idea who he is to your house.
0: Or even if he wasn't a murder suspect and you just saw this like weird epic sword battle in an alleyway, right. also a bad idea. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, this is a good idea. Her danger sense is no bueno. So he comes to her house. He shows up, and she's like, "Can I take your trench coat?" And he's like, "Nope, I'll, I'll keep it on because apparently there's a sword in there." I'm guessing.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> Not suspicious at all. Yeah, what I come
1: across yet is this movie's pretty funny. Like there's all these little looks that happen. For instance, Connor passes in the hallway of Brenda's apartment a painting of a Scottish guy in a kilt and sort of makes like eyes at the camera, like lifts his eyebrows and goes, hmm <laughs> and it's pretty funny. <laughs> so after Brenda leaves to go put on her earrings or something, he takes off his coat and there's no sword. So Wait, I'm not so sure why. He
0: comes o- he comes over and she's like, Excuse me, I have to go put on my earrings. Yes, exactly. What? Well, and then, let's leave the murder suspect alone in the living room this is a good idea
1: yeah, it does not go well so he's poking around and he takes off his coat again like i said and there's no sword i'm not sure why he insisted on keeping it on
0: is it a magic invisible sword can you just pull it out of random places
1: yeah their swords must be like hidden
0: maybe somehow it's one of those their, like, body cavities. swords. <laughs>
1: Danielle, we've established that. Only (laughs) the Kurgan has the collapsible sword. He's the special one.
0: Well, apparently you can make one. Maybe he has one too.
1: Sure. All right, Danielle, let's (laughs) go with that.
0: (laughs) Just problem solving. He's poking around
1: her apartment as they chit chat through the door, and he finds the gun, he finds a tape recorder, and he just sort of smiles at them. And he sees one of the police guys has staked out her apartment out in the alley. And so she comes back in, he gives her a gift, and she unwraps it, and it's the book, her book. And so he's like, oh, I know who you are because I have your book. Because she's like, oh.
0: But he gifted her her own book. It's kind of like a – um Surprise, I know who you are. Yeah, gift.
1: yeah, it wasn't like an actual gift. It was like, yeah, I see what you're trying to do, but I got you. Because she's like, oh, I work for the Met and I'm a curator there. And I have questions about old swords. And he's like, no, it says in your bio here you work for the NYPD, so I know who you are. <laughs>
0: That's a dramatic, revealing way to to state that. And she's
1: like, you bastard. And he's like, okay, I know who you are. You're working with the police. And she's like, I'm not working with the police. Like, Why are they parked outside your door? And she's like, what? There are? And so she's taken by surprise by that. And (laughs) he's about to storm out. And she's like, I don't care about finding a murderer. I only care about finding that sword. Because apparently that sword is some kind of non-existent legendary sword that shouldn't exist it was
0: this is a sword that she found in the parking garage not the sword right she
1: found she found a sword but not the one that he has she found the other sword that belonged to fascia not the one that belonged to connor which he hid in the ceiling
0: right and she found so she's interested in finding the sword or he's interested in she's interested the sword?
1: in finding the sword because she found like fragments of it in the alley and apparently and when she analyzed them the sword was too old to exist like it is using techniques that weren't invented for hundreds of years after when it was dated. But it's like finding some amazing piece of technology back in the caveman era, like a car during the, the Renaissance or whatever. So it's something to make her career.
0: Do you think you could actually find out all that information from a little bit of metal? In the... No. I mean, maybe. Maybe.
1: I don't know. I'm not a metallurgist, but I imagine it would take more than a day.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. We can agree on that one.
1: <laughs> I don't know what the timeline is. I don't know how many days have passed because it keeps cutting back and forth. So I don't know. If in like 1995, it's cutting back to like weeks or days later. So I don't know. But anyway, so apparently she does not care about her job as a forensics investigator or finding a murderer. She only wants to find the sword to like help her career.
0: Uh
1: And Connor's like, you only care about yourself and storms out.
0: Why is she also a forensic analyst for the police department if she has a career as a book writer with Danielle? It's like very weirdly divergent. It's it's a very, probably it's a niche book. I don't think it
1: makes a lot of money. I don't think it's going to be like a bestseller. That's probably true. Yeah. All right.
0: But she seems like she could make it a career. I bet she could, like, go around and do speeches and stuff, conventions. I don't know. Those things probably exist. Well, you can be her career advisor, Danielle, when you talk to her. (laughs) She needs to market herself better. That's what really needs to happen in this story. Maybe she's humble,
1: Danielle. I don't know. It doesn't matter. That's what she is.
0: (laughs) You can be humble and market yourself.
1: (laughs) Maybe she doesn't like, maybe she's not humble, shy. Okay. Anyway, so it flashes back to the destroyed tower and Queens, who wants to live forever, is playing through this next sort of montage. And as Heather and Connor, they're they're rebuilding their lives together. Heather starts growing old while Connor doesn't. She becomes an old woman and- She
0: doesn't think it's weird? Does she know that he's immortal now? I'm assuming at some point she figured it out she
1: figures it out, because she's like, why do you stay with me, my young, beautiful Connor? And he's like, because I love you as much now as the first day. And it's actually a pretty touching scene with the music Mm -hmm. as he watches her die. And so, you know, props to the movie for actually pulling out some actual emotion. Yeah, it's very sad. And he, like, buries her and leaves his sword, his original Claymore, in the dirt as, like, her gravestone and walks away. And then it cuts back to the modern day, where McCloud is meeting a guy in Central Park on a bridge who's another immortal.
0: They're just all over the Place. Well, they're all
1: being drawn to New York because of the gathering.
0: Right. Of course it's in New York.
1: Yes, of course it's in modern day New York. <laughs> and they do this cute little thing where they walk up to each other and they both have their hands on their trench coats and then they pull them out and they're empty and they go, Ah, and they hug <laughs> Actually I shouldn't say they're empty. Connors is empty. The other guy pulls out a flask. So, you know, I like him better. <laughs> and they discuss, but they have to
0: kill each other eventually, right? That's the idea. Otherwise. But <laughs> that- Sex.
1: <laughs> so they discussed that the gathering is here and the other guy's like, we should have a party. And McCloud's like, I remember the last time we had a party. And it flashes back now to like 17 something, 1789. And it's McCloud on this English hillside, it looks like. And he's about to duel a guy in a wig, like a you know, like a prim and proper dandy, and they're having a duel. And he's drunk <laughs> off his butt. He's like falling over until he holds his sword and his powdered wig is sort of coming off. And they're like, ready? And go. And they get stabbed immediately and falls over. And the guy's <laughs> like, okay, can you wipe my sword? And then he gets back up. And the guy's like, what? And then he stabs him again. And he falls back over, and it happens a few times. He gets getting stabbed and falls over, and then gets back up, and eventually he apologizes, like "I'm sorry, I called your wife those nasty names." My sincerely regret, it, and just walks away. <laughs> it's really great. And the <laughs> noble guy is really ticked off, and he shoots his footman in the back as his footman brings him a pistol to shoot McLeod. and it's just really weird.
0: I wonder if that would ever get old, like pranking people. Yeah, for yeah, immortality. <laughs> so
1: this—that was a really great scene because it shows him like using his powers for dickishness, which is. A, <laughs>
0: I would probably be. Which we would all do, let's be honest. Absolutely.
1: And it's really funny. It has nothing to do with the plot. It does nothing to further the plot anyway. It's just a really funny scene that they kept in, and I'm glad they did. So the next thing that happens is some guy with a bunch of guns is tooling around in a firebird around New York, and he sees two people sword fighting in an alley. And he pulls over and he grabs some guns. He's like... Clearly an ex-Marine gun nut guy on a vigilante thing going on.
0: I was like, what the heck?
1: (laughs) And it's Kurgan fighting the guy McCloud was speaking to in Central Park. And they're fighting. The friends. Yeah, the friend. And they're fighting. And the Marine goes up and sees them fighting. And he's like yelling at them to stop. And they just completely ignore him because, duh. (laughs) And the Kurgan cuts the head off of the other guy. And the Marine just open fires into him and shoots him a bunch. And that does nothing, because he just gets back up and brutally stabs the Marine guy and, like, lifts him up on his sword, like, throws him across the alley from his sword. It's pretty awful. And then... You
0: know, to be fair, like, I don't think he should have died, but also, like, really, should he have stopped and gone, (laughs) gone, like, I'm going to go stop this sword fight from happening by myself with some guns? It it
1: is a vigilante move. (laughs) And then the lightning comes up, where the corpse lightning happens, which was kind enough to wait until all this happened to start... So,
0: uh, (laughs) That was very delayed.
1: (laughs) It was. And it's super violent this time. Like, windows are exploding outwards. A manhole cover shoots up into the air and explodes. It's great.
0: Is it getting worse because there are less and less immortals?
1: I'm guessing either that or the Kurgan makes it more violent or something. I don't know. And then the Kurgan walks over to a, a car that has, like, an old man and a woman in it who are watching the fight. And he, like can opens the car with his sword like peels off the roof and throws the guy out and he looks <laughs> at the woman and goes, Hi, Mom! And like drives off and like kidnaps her and she's just screaming <laughs> and it's really great. I mean, it's awful, but it's hilarious.
0: This is just so he could like, he, there was a whole other car, right? That was free because he just killed the dude yeah. that was in the car. <laughs> he just went with this one. Yeah,
1: I can still look at the old lady and go joyriding with this poor old woman who's screaming and the guy <laughs> runs after going Hey, my car! Not his wife his car Not, hey my
0: wife <laughs>
1: <laughs> this movie is genius it's it's so good oh my gosh <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so the scene ends and it cuts to the hospital where the marine survived and he's talking to the cops and they're interviewing him. They show him a picture of McLeod and like, is this the guy who you saw fighting? He's like, no, that wasn't him. And he gives him a description of the Kurgan. So like, damn, we have the wrong guy.
0: <laughs> that other guy that we let go really wasn't the perpetrator. I mean,
1: who knows? There could be other perpetrators. So it then cuts to Brenda who's going to a public records to find the birth certificate for Nash. And then she finds it and then goes to talk to the doctor who delivered Nash And he just tells her everything she wants to know. Apparently, there's no HIPAA protections or whatever. (laughs) He's just like, oh, yes, I remember delivering that baby. It was an unwed mother, and she died in childbirth, and then the baby died shortly afterwards. So, (laughs) cool. Good Good thing you just told this random woman all this stuff about one of your old dead patients. Good job, doctor.
0: She's like super committed to yeah. to finding out what's up with this guy. Yeah,
1: but she doesn't do anything with the police. Like it's all just her. She worked with the police, but she doesn't clue them in ever once to what's going on.
0: Well, she saw all the lightning stuff, didn't she? When she was in the alleyway?
1: No, because no one died there.
0: No, they just had the fight. Yeah, and then the ran sword. away
1: because the helicopter showed up, Danielle.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> How can I forget the helicopter? <laughs> Sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's getting to dig deeper and she uncovers this pattern of people who have been willing this house Connor lives into each other. So each one of them is using the birth certificate of someone who died immediately after being born, essentially.
0: Right. That's how it works. And she goes up. (laughs) That's how you get fake social security numbers. (laughs) Yep.
1: And she goes to this computer geek guy and has him look up all the deeds to the house. And he does something where he brings up all the signatures on the 80s computer. So it's like the green fluorescent (laughs) CRT monitor. And it's all the green signatures. And it does that thing where, like, starts pulling out letters one at a time for each of the signatures and putting them down in a box in the bottom. And it reassembles, you know, Nash's name. And it's like, oh, perfect match for the handwriting. (laughs) It's great. It's really stupid. It's great. And she's like, wow, I guess this is big. And so then it cuts to a church. And Connor's in this church and he lights a candle both for his dead wife and for his friend Ramirez, who the Kurgan killed. And the Kurgan finds him in the church and says to Connor, it's just you and me now. We're the last ones. That was quick. Yeah. And the Kurgan is like, some nuns walk by and he's going like, to the nuns and like causing a scene. And he brags (laughs) about killing Connor's friend Ramirez and how he raped his wife. And the Kurgan's like, oh, wait, that wasn't Ramirez's wife. That was your wife. And they almost fight. But the Kurgan reminds him that this is holy ground. They can't fight here. So the Kurgan stops the fight, which I did not expect.
0: Uh-huh. Well, apparently, it's a really strict rule. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: don't know why the Kurgan's just like, okay, bye. And Khan's like, I'll be outside if you want to fight. And the Kurgan's like, no, mm, we'll fight later for some reason. How
0: often does this thing happen? The thing, what is it called again? The Gathering? The Gathering. Once. This is <laughs> I it. I think I'd this be able to remember one. that. Ever? Like in yeah. millions of years? So, all the
1: mortals who were born throughout all the centuries, all of them are born. And once all of them are born, they start feeling the pull and they start killing each other off and they enter the gathering where they all bow to the last one left.
0: What a weird. Wait, they all bow to the last one left? Battle. Battle to the last one left. Oh, battle. It's <laughs> like, wait, you said that there was only one. <laughs> That's a terrible way to keep immortals going as a species or whatever what they can't are. They
1: reproduce, Danielle.
0: I know, but they keep getting born. You think that, like, Apparently, Having only there's a purpose one, th- to this. This plot doesn't make sense, there's okay? There's a purpose where
1: there's going to be a set number of mortals born, and they're going to fight to the death, and when there's one left, they get the prize.
0: This doesn't make a really long-planned battle royale. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's pretty much all it is, Thousands Danielle. of years. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's like there's some god up in the sky that's like, this is going to take 8,000 years to complete. Danielle, it's going to be great. <laughs> oh, I
1: can't wait to do Highlander 2, because it tries to explain all of this, and it somehow makes it much worse. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I need to know. I need to know why. It's, it's great. Highlighter 2.
1: We're going to do that. In <laughs> maybe, I don't know when, but we'll do it. Okay.
0: Looking forward to the explanation. I have questions. Yeah.
1: So after McCloud leaves the church, the Kurgan is continuing to make a scene like a priest walks up and is like, This is the house of God. And he's like, ah, And he like yells a speech about it's better to burn out than to fade away and then leaves. <laughs> he's so great. He's probably my favorite part of the movie is the Kurgan and his complete over-the-top cheesiness. So then it cuts to Brenda, who's confronting Connor at his home. And she's in the shop, like in his house. She's like, I found all this stuff. What's going on? And Connor explains that he's an immortal. And he says... He his- just
0: jumps right into yeah, it, does like, I'm immortal.
1: He's like, I... Cannot die. I am 500 years old. I cannot die. He says, and then he says with his best Scottish accent, I am Colin McLeod of the Clan McLeod and I am immortal. And then he gives her a knife and holds her handle. He stabs himself with the knife to prove that he's immortal.
0: <laughs> like she asked for proof. No, she didn't. He just does it. <laughs> I, that's what I mean. Like she asked for proof. <laughs>
1: and so as he pulls the knife out and they start looking into each other's eyes and somehow this totally makes her super hot for him and they have sex. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why?
1: Apparently, seeing this dude stabbed when he's immortal is like that's my kink.
0: That's such an odd um, choice. <laughs> I think the movie's like
1: they're going to have sex one way or another, so let's just make that happen.
0: Sure, but what a what a weird place to do it. It <laughs> makes know, like, no sense. Oh, you're immortal and I can stab you. Sure, let's do it.
1: Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. She doesn't know him any better. It's just all right. Let's bone. <laughs> Okay. They have sex, and after the sex scene, it cuts to them at the zoo with lions, because metaphor, and she's very (laughs) blasé about all this. He's like, so you're immortal, that's fine, but why can't we be together? He's like, we can't get involved, because I can't get my heart broken again. I can't get involved with someone else. And she's like, okay, I guess that's it then. We're just not going to date or anything. We just had sex that one time with an immortal, and I'm cool with that.
0: They could be friends with benefits.
1: (laughs) Or not, apparently. I don't know. (laughs) So then it's Brenda walking to her apartment, and as she's walking up the stairs to her apartment, the Kurgan is there, waiting for her, somehow. Ah! And he chases her through her house, and it's pretty scary, and he kidnaps her, and he takes her on a joyride in this car, screaming, and she's yelling, and he's driving through oncoming traffic, and just being completely nutso, and it's really what? a fun scene. And then she What faints. happened to
0: the old lady?
1: Who knows? She is never mentioned again.
0: Oh, No. <laughs> Poor old lady. I hope she left her husband. (laughs) Right?
1: (laughs) So then Brenda faints, and it cuts to Connor listening to a tape the Kurgan made of, being like, I have your girl. She's a screamer. Which part should I cut off first? I'll be waiting.
0: Did he, like... Voicemail it? Like, how did he get a copy of this tape? I don't know,
1: Danielle. It just happens to have <laughs> like, a tape. He mailed it to her, and dropped it off. I don't know.
0: <laughs> like, dropped it off at his apartment. Yeah, just it it mailed like, to him, go. dropped it off. I don't know. You think there's proof of life in there?
1: <laughs> no, there isn't, except for her screaming on the tape. Yeah, oh, well, that's sort kind of proof of well, life, I guess. Who knows of, when the tape was made? That
0: specific moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So Connor's like, all right, time for the ending. He gears up and he says to Rachel's secretary daughter, there are papers in my dresser that'll give you everything, power of attorney. And she's like, You're not coming back, are you? Even if you win, you're not coming back. And he just leaves. <laughs> and so then it cuts to Connor on a roof where Brenda is chained to the giant Silver Cup Studio sign, which is a big neon sign, a famous New York building. And Connor somehow knows they're up there and climbs up to this roof. And
0: How did he find them? Maybe it
1: was on the tape, Danielle. The, I don't know.
0: Or maybe it was the immortal sense. Maybe
1: it was the immortal, the quickening. <laughs> and so as Connor climbs up the sign to get her down, the Kurgan pops up and swings a sword at him because, you know, that's what happens in the movie. People pop up and swing swords. <laughs> and they have this great fight scene and Brenda's screaming on the sign and the and his sign is literally falling apart as they're fighting. And at one point, Connor uses his sword to zip line down off the sign from the catwalk they're on. Uh-huh. And the Kurgan starts. <laughs> <laughs> chopping the sign down because Brenda's still tied up to it, and then Connor rushes over, and part of the sign collapses, causing a water tower to collapse, flooding the roof. And so now they're like fighting in a waiting pool, thigh deep in water, and it's really great. And the sparks are still flying. I'm like, this can't be safe. <laughs> this is nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's so over the top, and they're fighting, and they crash through a skylight into an empty warehouse, and somehow Brenda climbs down into the warehouse too.
0: I thought she was all like trapped and well, as the sign was something. collapsing
1: apparently she got free and sort of managed to shimmy her way back onto the roof or something I don't know it doesn't matter Danielle she gets down there somehow
0: I like that the bad guy just doesn't want to just kill him he wants to like kidnap people kill his friends yeah, like, terrorize them before he he's murders
1: them a, he's making a meal out of this Danielle he's having fun <laughs> like he is an anarchist hedonist thing he just loves <laughs> making chaos it's he's the most fun thing in the movie he's great <laughs> And so just as the Kurgan is about to kill McCloud, Brenda comes up and bashes him with a pipe. <laughs> and McCloud's like, what kept you? So McCloud starts cutting up the Kurgan and finally decapitates him. And as the Kurgan dies, like crazy light and keening comes out of his next stump. And the weird lightning thing happens, only it's a lot more. And McCloud declares, there can be only one, as way more <laughs> cheesy lightning happens. And he's like, demon effects like cartoon like demon drawn on the screen swirl around really made of lightning <laughs> they go through him and he's like yelling the quickening overpowers me i know everything and he's just screaming <laughs> as all this is happening and it does like this weird zoom where like a zoom into his eye over and over again does these quick cuts to various scenes it's very trippy and weird and then he collapses and then brendan goes <laughs> over and puts his head in his lap to comfort him
0: are they demons
1: that's how they're described in the wikipedia page but they look like demons. They're like horned ghost things, and they're they're clearly like demonic in, in some way.
0: Are they immortal because they're demonic in some way? No, no,
1: no. I'm sorry. The immortals aren't demons. Like killing them, I know. Them, but if there are demons, demons
0: swirling around them, do the demons like take the immortals when they die? No,
1: no. It's not like ghost where the. the-
0: <laughs> I don't understand why there are demons.
1: <laughs> because he killed the last one. This is the prize, Danielle. He gets like blessed by
0: demons. I don't know. <laughs> That makes immortality a little scarier.
1: Yeah. So then it cuts to Scotland, and you hear a voiceover. Brent is asking him to describe the prize. Like, what's this prize? And he says, he hears everybody in his head. He can know the thoughts of everybody on the planet, all the diplomats, all the scientists, all the presidents. He can hear their thoughts and know what they want, and he can help them understand each other.
0: How is that a prize? That's
1: the prize, Danielle. (laughs) Shut up. Take your prize. You want it. You get it.
0: Who wants that prize? (laughs) And apparently, is he going to create world peace? Like, is that how that works? That's what
1: he's going to do with it. Apparently, he's going to use his ability to see what everyone's thinking to help them understand each other.
0: Dude, can you imagine if the car- Kerrigan, 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 what's Kerrigan? Kerrigan gotten the prize?
1: Kerrigan, K-U-R-G-A-N. Kurrigan. Kur- not Kerrigan, Kur- not corrugated. Kerrigan. <laughs> not
0: Kerrigan. Cur- cur- <laughs> no,
1: no, there's no ura. It's Kerrigan.
0: Kerrigan.
1: Two syllables. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was really hard I don't know why that it was so hard why?
1: It's, It was Kurgan Not Kurgan.
0: Kurgan Okay so the Kurgan Imagine if the Kurgan <laughs> sorry. Imagine if the Kurgan had gotten the prize. the prize Yeah the whole world would have blown up
1: Yeah that's the idea so, he saved the world. He got the prize. He's going to make world peace because he knows everyone's what everyone's thinking.
0: I like that, del- but you don't know that he saved the world until the end of the movie. You're like, oh, okay. No, he hasn't
1: saved the world yet. He's going to. He just has the prize now. He has the ability <laughs> Her- to help save the world.
0: Right, but you don't realize that those are like the, the – that's the threat of the whole movie, is that if the bad guy wins, that he could kill the entire planet. Well, no, planet. it
1: says – Ramirez says if the Kurgan wins the prize, there'll be darkness for all the mortals forever.
0: I don't think you said that. I
1: did say that. How many percent said that? Well,
0: that was a really long time ago. <laughs> it was. It was and back in the beginning of the movie. A lot of things happened since then. There were like helicopters and magic yeah, lightning. it was and just at <laughs>
1: the very beginning when Ramirez was doing his big exposition dump about you're an immortal. I was born in Ancient Egypt. Egypt and lived in Spain now, so it was it was a while ago. <laughs> but yes, it's made clear that if the Kurgan wins, it's going to be bad. But we don't know why it's going to be bad. Well,
0: good thing that he didn't win then.
1: Yes, and so. Along with all the telepathy, the other parts of the prize is he's now both mortal and fecund again. So he can have babies and he will age and die. So,
0: What a weird prize.
1: I I, I mean, you can kind of see it as the prize of being like, hey, now you can live a normal life you can love again or whatever.
0: But what if you were like super into being immortal and then your prize is, bonus, you're not immortal anymore. Kind of
1: a crap (laughs) prize, not going to (laughs) lie.
0: That's really funny.
1: And there's this voiceover with Sean Connery, and it does all these flashbacks to scenes with Sean Connery in the movie. So it's just like, again, showing scenes of Sean Connery that he was in. Nothing new. And Sean Connery sort of narrates and says about how now he's one with all living things and it'll take time, but he has power beyond imagination to use it well and to not lose his head.
0: (laughs) Why is... Okay. Uh, Is it it done? No. Is it done? And then it
1: (laughs) ends with him making out with Brenda on the Scottish Hillens.
0: Oh, of course. I mean... Because he's not immortal anymore, so I guess he could have a relationship yeah. with so cut to that, making
1: out on the Scottish hills, and then credits with Queen music.
0: And we're assuming he got cleared up all murder charges.
1: Well, he's in Scotland, so apparently they didn't like revoke his passport when he found <laughs> him in a warehouse that was destroyed from one of the famous <laughs> New York landmarks with the decapitated body of a monster.
0: So, question. Yeah. Why is this set in Scotland? I mean, why not set in Scotland? Because he's a Highlander. I know, but is it tied intrinsically to like Scottish lore? Or I don't think so, Not just, that I'm aware of. It was just like somebody sat down. Why isn't it set in Ireland? Why isn't it set well, in why, Egypt? I mean, why is there, it set? There are people
1: in- from all over. Like some of the immortals came from Egypt. Some of the immortals came from here. He just happened to be the Highlander. The Scottish one was the one who won the prize. So it's like you're falling like when reality shows when they film all the like backstories for sense. all the contestants, but they only show the ones for the people who actually matter in the show.
0: Yes, you know who's going to win all the events. You're like, oh, that one's important.
1: (laughs) Danielle, if you don't think the Highlander is going to win the prize from the movie called Highlander, then you're not paying attention.
0: Okay, I I assumed the Highlander was going to (laughs) win. Yes especially since there are sequels.
1: <laughs> oh, the sequels. And there was a TV show too about his cousin who was another immortal and there was a cartoon for a while. So Cartoon. There was a cartoon Highlander, but I remember that one. I didn't I I wasn't really into Highlander. Like I didn't know what it was as a kid. I didn't watch all the sequels or anything, but I did watch this as a teenager, but I remember the cartoon. I came across it as a kid. I didn't know what the heck it was, but it imprinted on me a little bit. <laughs> Because it was so weird.
0: I really wish I had watched this.
1: The movie or the cartoon?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you can watch it, Danielle.
1: You should definitely (laughs) watch it.
0: I am definitely going to watch it. Even knowing all
1: of this, it's worth the watch. (laughs) So, yeah, that's Highlander. Wow. Yeah. Crazy, right? That
0: was like nothing that – I don't even know. That was nothing that I expected. (laughs) I don't know what I thought Highlander was about, but that was none of it.
1: (laughs) No, it is absolutely nonsense. But it is frenetic, and it is fast-paced, and it's funny and weird, and it apparently did very poorly when it was released to theaters, but became a cult classic. And
0: Yeah, everybody's seen it, except for me, apparently. I don't know if
1: everybody's seen it, but everybody should see it.
0: (laughs) So, our suggestion of the week. Watch Highlander.
1: <laughs> uh, watch whatever you want. I think it's a fun movie. I, I mean, it's of its time in some ways. Like, there's some problematic sexism and, and homophobia in it that aren't great. But at least it's a minimal compared to a lot of movies from the 80s. So, B+, I guess. <laughs> that was a wild ride. Yeah. So, I know we'll do Highlander 2 at some point. But if anybody feels like explaining things in a way that doesn't spoil them, please write into us at our website, bookretorts.com. Explain anything what's going on, what the quickening is. I still don't really get that. So I could use some help.
0: (laughs) You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Bookretorts.
1: All right. Well, that was weird and a lot of fun. And join us next time for our next piece of weird media. And until then, bye. Take care, everybody. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> Your consternation throughout this movie was excellent. <laughs>
0: yeah. I've, I mean, I'd heard all those phrases before like the quickening and the gathering and stuff but I the didn't could know be any only of one. Meant. <laughs> yeah, like I've heard stuff from it but i had literally like no context when people talk about it. You're like, "Uh, uh-huh, sure, the quickening." <laughs>